Omniverse. Hey, this is Kat. And Jess. You know, Mother She Wrote is free to listen to, but it's not free to make. So please, consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll get early ad-free episodes of this show and all the storytelling podcasts we create. Head to patreon.com forward slash omniverse media to chip in and join our community of world-saving wonderkind. Oh, and heads up, this episode contains discussions of depression, mental illness, and death. Please use your best judgment when listening and take care of yourself. Love you! Dear Mom, I'm in Marysville now, spending the night in a hotel. It feels weird knowing that home is only one town away, but I've been so much farther than that. Magicant is real, Mom. I I know because now I can go back there anytime I want in the blink of an eye. It's getting back out that's the trouble. Queen Mary's castle was incredible. Inside, the floors were the deepest green I'd ever seen, like polished emerald. It's kept up by these big kind of ragdoll people called the Chamberlains. One of them asked me to be gentle when I talked to the queen. She's been having a rough time. They said, Oh, Queen Mary often has nightmares. Sometimes she talks in her sleep and sounds like she's scolding a naughty child. The dreams are always in the same. Oh, it's bad. She, she cries out, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then she starts to sing but she can't remember the tune. Ah, poor queen. She'll like to see the face of such a nice boy. As soon as I saw Queen Mary sitting in her throne in her big, fancy pink dress with her crown and her jewels, I knew I needed to kneel. It just felt like the thing to do. Her eyes were glistening like she might cry. She made a hand motion for me to come forward and she knew my name before I even opened my mouth. Welcome, Denton. Here in Magicant, everyone is your friend. You can have as much as you like of whatever you want. Thank you, Queen Mary. I, uh, well, I'd love to hear you sing. Everyone says you have the most beautiful singing voice. Oh, that's so kind of them. I would love to sing you my song, Denton, but... I don't know why. I just can't remember it. Oh. Uh, Does it... Just a sec. Does it sound like this? I took out the ocarina, and I played the song I'd pieced together from Grandma Maria's doll, and Songbird Laura, and the singing monkey. Oh! Oh, my sweet boy! That's it! Keep playing! Please! Uh, I'm sorry, Queen Mary. Uh, That's... That's all I know. She stepped down from her throne and threw her arms around me, kissing me on the cheek and forehead. I could feel it. I could almost feel it. It's so close. Maybe you could learn the song. It's only eight melodies long. Sure. Sure thing, Queen Mary. Um, I asked her how to get home so I could find more melodies. But she looked really distant. 
haunted and said she couldn't remember. My heart sank. I thought for sure she'd know. I, I looked everywhere. I talked to everyone. Eventually, out in the waving plains of clouds, I found a house all by itself. When the people inside saw me coming, they ran out to greet me. And at first, I thought maybe they were more nightmare creatures attacking me. But then, I recognized them. It was the flying men, Mom. The flying men. It was really them. Just like you told me about in your bedtime stories. Five bird brothers with bodies like humans, but covered in soft yellow feathers with red-beaked bird faces. They were so strong, they lifted me over their heads. I couldn't believe it. It was like meeting old friends. They said... They'd been waiting for me to come. It was their destiny to help me and fight beside me. It was decided that one of the brothers would travel with me and help me look for a way home. We found a grove filled with wells, like for getting water from the ground. They weren't dry, but the whole place was desolate abandoned. But then, on the wind, I heard something. It was town noise, cars and construction. It was earth. The flying man and I followed the sound until we found a well that didn't have water in it, just a ladder going down. Inside, it was cold and dark. Some tunnels led to nowhere. I had to draw in Great Grandpa's journal to figure out where we'd been and how to get back out. There were things down there. Eyes in the darkness judging me. If the flying man wasn't there giving me courage and helping me fight, I, I don't know what I'd have done. We heard rushing water all around us. Like behind the stone walls was an ocean that could crush us. It felt like we were at the bottom of the world. We followed a weird, rumbling rhythm. I thought maybe it was a train from Earth or something. But when we turned a corner, my flashlight beam fell across a sleeping dragon. It was enormous and curled up at a dead end like a giant cat, snoring. I was so shocked that I tripped over a rock which made a bunch of noise. Fortunately, it didn't wake up. We went the other way, you know, hoping we could maybe just leave the dragon alone. And that was fine. <laughs> but I stumbled again, this time into a hole. I fell into water and darkness. Something brushed up against me, something sharp. And then I heard it, a gasping noise. I spun around just in time to see a giant fish. It lunged at me, sharp toothed mouth gaping, ready to eat me. The flying man dove and pushed me out of the way and he died. The fish bit right into him. The last thing he said was, Keep fighting, kid. I believe in you. I charged at the fish with everything I had. It thrashed and I hit back, reaching out with my psi abilities to catch it off garden. It stopped moving. Uh, 
my flashlight glinted across something sticking out of its lip. A big fish hook made out of black stone. One of Queen Mary's chamberlains had mentioned something called the onyx hook. They said that with it, I could return. I didn't know what they meant at first, but holding it in my hands now in our world, I can feel magic hand, like a light glowing at the bottom of an ocean in my mind. I just have to put the hook in the water and... But, but it only takes me back. I still have to get out the hard way. The flying man gave his life so I could find the way out. I climbed out of the hole I'd fallen into towards those city noises. And there, in the dim light, I saw a figure in a doorway. His back was turned to me. Hello? Hello? He didn't say anything. It was like he froze. Like he thought if he didn't move, I couldn't see him. Excuse me, sir? Are, are you okay? I'm... I'm a forgotten man. I'm not really here. You didn't have to notice me. Please, ignore me. Well, that's not right. I mean... Do you live down here? It's dangerous. You talk kindly. I've been alone since the moment I was born. Well, you don't have to be. Sometimes even breathing becomes too much. Why do you insist on talking to me? I'm here, so... Are you a forgotten man, too? No. That's right. That is right. Right. Please, ignore me like everyone else. Please. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you. And then he was gone. Like he was never there. The crushing weight of all the loneliness of this place bore down as I walked through the doorway. And I was in a cave in the hills. Just outside Marysville. It was twilight. And dark by the time I made it to town. <laughs> I, I wish I was home, Mom. I, I wish you were here to tell me sweet dreams. But then, tonight, I don't think I, I want to dream at all. Welcome to Mother, she wrote a travelogue diary through the strangest, most thought-provoking, most heart-rending video games ever made. Mother, as it's called in Japan, and Earthbound, as it's called everywhere else. This is the story of the first game in that series, Earthbound Beginnings. I'm Jessica Mudd, here to remind you that it's best to let teddy bears fly 
and sleeping dragons lie. And with me, as always, is... Cat Blackard, just a real nowhere girl, sitting in a nowhere world, making all my nowhere plans for nobody. Well, I'll never forget you, even if you're lost in the deepest hole on another world. Aww. Before we voyage further into the subconscious, let's check out the latest community news in the Mother's Day Times. Welcome to the Mother's Day Times. This is a segment you'll hear in every episode of the show going forward where we keep you abreast of the latest happenings from all across Eagle Land. We'll be discussing goings-on in the Earthbound fan community and letters, reviews, and haikus from yous, the citizens of the People's Republic of Mother, she wrote. You should definitely write us a letter. You can share with us your story of how the Mother games impacted your life, strange sights you've seen in the real world, and we rattle off a lot of facts here on the show. Maybe we missed something. Maybe we got something wrong. Let us know. Send us a letter at DearMotherSheWrote at gmail.com, or you can chat with us on our Discord and on social networks, all of which are linked on our website, MotherSheWrote.Earth. But if you'd like to specifically write in for this segment, again, DearMotherSheWrote at gmail.com. First up, let's share some fascinating findings and new insights into Mother. A community researcher called Pineapple Carl discovered an interview with Shogo Toda, who, it turns out, wrote the Mother Encyclopedia under the pen name Matsuo Heitzen. In that interview, he also shared a previously unknown working title for Mother. When Shigesato Itoi first called him in to work on the game, it was called ESP-1. ESP-1. Does that mean there'd be an ESP-2? Well, that may have been the plan. Researcher Biozilla found an interview with Itoi from the time of Mother's release where he said that Mother was intended to be a trilogy of games from the outset. From that same interview, we learned that Pippi ended up in the graveyard because she was chasing woodland critters and got stuck there. Oh, Pippi. Cody Nocolo, <laughs> head of Mother Forever, the website at the epicenter of the modern Earthbound fandom, learned something very significant about Shigesato Itoi's childhood from a biography. Details that influenced the series overall and... The town of Podunk, a.k.a. Mother's Day. Itoi's mother left when he was young, so he was raised by his father and grandmother. On Mother's Day in school, kids would be given red carnations to give to their moms. But kids without moms, they'd be given white carnations, and Itoi felt singled out. He was embarrassed and hurt by this. This tradition involving red carnations is why they're the symbol of the town of Mother's Day. There's flower beds of red carnations everywhere. And going a bit deeper, Itoi has no memory of ever being hugged in his childhood. Which is just like, oh, that poor kid, that's terrible. Well, hopefully he's had a lot of hugs since then. In the 1980s, Itoi saw a Rolling Stone magazine cover featuring John Lennon hugging Yoko Ono. And that conjured a lot of feelings as he considered the warmth of that hug, his life without his mother, and Lennon's past as a motherless child as depicted in his song, Mother. The name of the series comes from a far more personal place than we realized. Finally, insofar as insights into the game, in the time since we recorded this episode, it's come to light that Stephen King and Peter Straub's 1984 novel, The Talisman, was a massive influence on Mother. I've started reading the book, and I can share that the Magicant section in particular is filled with direct parallels. Queen Mary and the Flying Man have direct character influences from this book. You'll remember last episode we mentioned the shopkeepers in Magicant that are actually from Earth. 
Well, it turns out that shady characters bringing capitalism to a dreamland, that's both a little bit Momo and a little bit Talisman. We'll be talking much more about this as we get deeper into Earthbound Beginnings. So the Mother series is home to all sorts of amazing fan projects. Why you're listening to one right now. Mm-hmm. But here's another outpouring of psychokinetic love that you'll want to know about. A Mother series fanzine called Your Name, Please. It's over 130 full-color pages of articles, illustrations, and comics. Find it at motherseriesine.bigcartel.com and linked on this episode's page. Nintendo Force Magazine is publishing their first book. It's called The Impact of Iwata, a biography of Nintendo president Satoru Iwata, a game designer and producer whose life and work shaped gaming as we know it, including Earthbound. So much so, they've devoted an entire chapter of the book to it. The book is currently being funded on Kickstarter, where it has already met its goal. You can get a first edition copy and help support the project for a couple more weeks as of this episode's release. And we'll link to the Kickstarter again on this episode's page. Last but definitely not least, we'd like to give a shout out to Biozilla, who we mentioned earlier. He's been collecting and scanning mother guidebooks from Japan, uncovering new information and a bunch of fantastic artwork. Much of what he's discovered is featured on Mother Forever, but he shared some yet unpublished pieces with us. You can see them on Mother She Wrote's Tumblr and Twitter. We're super grateful to Biozilla. He's been an enormous supporter of this show from the outset and left us an incredible and actually very humbling review on Apple Podcasts, where he also offered some personal perspectives such as this. I was already aware of a toy's desire to answer the question of, if Steven Spielberg created an RPG, what would it be like? but Hatton considered how certain scenes in the game lend themselves to cinematic adaptation. It's great stuff, and I hope Cat and Jess continue to make such intriguing observations. We'll do our best. Thank you, Biozilla. If you would like to spread the word about this show, you too can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Those significantly boost our show's discoverability. We really appreciate it. You'll find links to where you can leave those reviews at MotherSheWrote.Earth, along with links to our Tumblr, our Twitter, and the Omniverse Discord. Come hang out with us. And write in, again, at DearMotherSheWrote at gmail.com. That's all for now. This has been the Mother's Day Times. Hey, Jess. Yeah? Were you playing the game long enough that your dad called you? Yes, I was. And I was so surprised to see that. Yeah, it's this is the thing that's also in Earthbound where like uh like out of no you know, normally you're calling from like regular uh rotary dial telephones, pay phones, but all of a sudden you you're you're playing the game, everything pauses, and you hear a phone ring. And I how how is this happening? <laughs> I don't know. Uh yeah, it's not like you have a cell phone or something. Right, because if you did, you'd be one, loaded. Uh, and two, you don't have the inventory space for it. It would take up the whole inventory. <laughs> it's huge. to a car, yeah. <laughs> but but I'll be. But at some but point, God, yeah, your dad calls and he asks you if you've been playing too much and you need to take a little bit of a break. Yeah, he says, "This is your dad now, son. It's not my business, but why not rest?" And if you select continue, he says, "I see. I know the Earth faces a crisis. Good luck." <laughs> Now, I will say, after finding the old man and getting my funds out because of all those tasty-looking magical items back at the shop, I was walking back to the store, and I had fought this 
one particular creature a couple of times, and it was called a rabe yidit. And yep. what I figured out was that it's teddy bear backwards. So, but it's in the game, it's rabe yidit. And when you're fighting these teddy bears, occasionally it can call for help and it summons a flying teddy. Now, the flying teddy has a move called Final Strike or something like that. And it does an incredible amount of damage to you. And I got one-shotted by one of these things after picking up all my money again and lost like $1,500. Gosh, that sucks. That sucks so (laughs) bad. But how are you supposed to know? You're just wandering around, you're fighting enemies, and all of a sudden somebody shows up that just one-shots you like that? Well, yeah, and what's more, it's a weird quirk of an enemy where it's an enemy that only appears when it's summoned by another enemy. And it didn't happen just one time. I got killed by that thing twice. I fought it the second time, and I tried to use my Psy shield on myself, Yeah, and that didn't do anything against it. Still just got right through and then it, I encountered it a third time. That time I just used fourth dimensional slip. I just got out of there. That's a good good so call. I'm not I'm not dealing with this. I somehow I took out the rabietts beforehand. Like I, I I managed to not see a single flying one the whole time. Flying bear, yeah, yeah. Fun fact: they're called beru in uh, in Japanese, which is just the English like that's just the Japanese pronunciation of bear. And there is a bear enemy later in the game, which I assume is the Japanese word for bear. Yeah. So this whole teddy bear thing is just uh, an invention of the translators. There was also uh, some of the other enemies that you encounter in this area are widows and big widows. And they're basically just like trees. And the big yeah, widow is fr- like a freaky, stump. Freaky trees with, with faces and grinning teeth. Yeah. Um, and the big widow explodes when you defeat it and does a lot of fire damage. Yeah, a classic of the Earthbound games is is an enemy that upon death issues a a significant penalty that hopefully you can survive. Yeah. And the Wudos are really annoying if they get going. They sow seeds and make more of themselves, and they can do an attack that puts a puzzled status effect on you. And this is one of the times I got completely killed. It just like every turn, Ninten is daydreaming, Ninten is daydreaming, and they are smashing me and destroying me, and a whole gang of trees punched Ninten into a bloody pulp until he died. Oh, no. That never happened to me. I don't think I ever fought more than one at, at the same time. I must have taken them out quick enough. I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. There was also a cool magic snail that had a very delicious-looking peppermint shell. <laughs> well, you say cool, but those enemies are brutal. Their shells, their defense is crazy good. There's not a time that I, I fought them that I wasn't using defense down on them just to yeah, get a I couple just, good hits in. Yeah, just constantly defense down. At this point in the game, Ninten only has psi powers that are like status related, like put up a shield, lower defense, stuff like that. And you need them. You need them real bad. They're not yeah. not optional. Where's my area lightning attack? That's what I maybe, want. Maybe later. Maybe. <laughs> one day, one day it will it will come. There was also some other really interesting looking <laughs> enemies too. A lot of eyes. What do you think this represents, you know, psychologically? How there's just a bunch of disembodied, uh, as Billy Idol would say, eyes without a face, just floating around menacingly. This was fascinating for me. After sort of realizing what was going on, 
and seeing all of these enemies that had different characteristics to them. And they're all basically just like a pair of eyeballs looking at you, but they kind of behaved in a certain way that was really interesting. So like, I think the first one that you might encounter is called just watcher and it's a pretty basic set of eyes. Then there's Groucho, which is like Groucho marks like eyeballs, the glasses and the the nose and, and everything. And it can just kind of like, laugh at you and run away and and then <laughs> you still get the experience though from it well actually there's many reasons that uh, groucho is my uh favorite enemy of this particular part of the playthrough the actual text is groucho said hello and then just walked away don't know why but nintendo's exp increased now it doesn't just increase when you defeat a groucho you get three experience when groucho says hello and walks away you get 50 Oh, wow. The weird thing is it's only given to one member of the party if there is a party there. So it's best just to not even attack Groucho, just let it, you know. Well, if you can. If you can. Well, while we're on the topic, we can also talk about my favorite, and that is Dad's Eyes. <laughs> when I first saw that, I just started laughing out loud. Uh, it, was the, it was so surreal and funny, especially because you're so used to like talking to your dad through a telephone. You never see him. And then all of a sudden I have this NBC that shows up with just dad's eyes like looking at you. <laughs> but the interesting thing about dad's eyes, its special characteristic is that it has an ability where it flies into a rage and its attack power raises substantially. And I'm wondering what that says about great-grandpa George or... Nintendo's dad or some of the other men that might have been in Maria's life. Yeah, that also speaks to a kind of like, you know, general, I suppose, trait of fathers in some regard, uh, yeah. you know, cross-culturally. Like, sure, dads fly into a rage and that sucks. That's one of the many like weird human things that get confronted in the mother games. Yeah. And the mom's eyes have a attack that repeats over and over again it's like very like it hits twice basically yeah they have i think high speed so like Mm -hmm. they're very likely to strike first even before you do and when they do it's a continuous attack they hit at least twice which is super annoying and i sort of get that that is a different type of aggression it's kind of like that sustained over time pressure to adhere to your mother's expectations or something like that yeah like the continuous attack is kind of like just not letting something go. And then just for good measure, there's four eyes, which is two pairs of eyes stacked on top of each other. They've kind of got their own thing going on, but they're not as distinct in terms of attacking as any other ones. And I do, of course, love eventually down in um, in the wells, uh, you often get a set of watcher mom's eyes and dad's eyes all traveling as a family. Yeah, that did not escape my notice as well. I can just really imagine Maria sort of like feeling all these pressures from the people in her life wanting her to do these different things and and be these different things and and sort of like the way that that is weighing on her mind. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting question, though. Is it Maria or are these nightmares? Are they someone else's nightmares or are they your nightmares or are they a juxtaposition of the two? Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm making an assumption here that it's Maria, but uh, it really could be any number of characters. Yeah, if you're someone who's inside someone else's dream... There's all kinds of different questions about how it may operate. These eyes are called swooshes in Japanese. So watcher is swoosh, groucho is bonus swoosh, four eyes is whoosh swoosh, and (laughs) mom's eyes and dad's eyes are swooshette and papa swoosh. Aw, papa swoosh. (laughs) 
Now, in fighting these enemies, you probably could use some help. And fortunately, the game has your back in the form of the Flying Men. That's right. There is a house that is on the north side of Magicant, and if you walk inside of it, there are several beds and several men who appear to have like beaks and wings, maybe, mm-hmm. walking around. And they're called they call themselves the Flying Men. And if you go up and talk to one of them, they volunteer to come with you. Their destiny is to help you, in fact. Um, yeah, and they say they can't wait for you to come back so that they can help you. Now, fans of either Smash Brothers, where they eventually appeared uh, in a later game in a particular fighting map and fight alongside you, or fans of Earthbound will recognize the Flying Man. In fact, fans of Earthbound may recognize the name Magicant, but that's a story for another time. Now, when it comes to the Flying Men, the way that they operate is very odd. Unlike Pippi, like Pippi, they join your party, but unlike Pippi, you don't have any control over them. You can't give them anything. They just do whatever it is they do, and they generally soak up any enemy attacks that come for you while also dishing out a fair amount of punch themselves. Um, But they can die, and when they die, there's only five of them, and they're dead forever. And a gravesite appears outside of their house with an epithet oh, on it. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so dark. I'm um, glad I didn't go back and get another one. Although I wonder if maybe the flying men are a counter to the flying teddies. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I mean, trapped in endless battle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, they seem to like their job and there's nothing I can do to dissuade them from it. Yeah, they're really into it. They're really, 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 really into it. I mean, as I said, it is their destiny. Not their density, but their destiny. (laughs) Um, There is, however, I found out one way to replenish their HP, which I I thought there wasn't a way to do that. But if you go to the Magic Fountain, you can restore all the lost hit points for the Flying Men. Now, I did sacrifice three Flying Men in my journey. (laughs) When one of them dies, you talk to another one. They say, I heard that my brother died with honor in combat. With all our love, he was buried in our cemetery. It is with great pride that I take his place by you. The first headstone says, Ninten's strong and powerful ally, the brave soldier flying man, rests here in peace. The second one says, To Ninten's horror and dismay, the brave soldier flying man rests here in peace. And the third one says, Ninten's faithful and loyal servant, the brave soldier flying man rests here in peace. I'm going to let the other two stay alive. They, they need okay. each other. But here's the encyclopedia says about the flying man. Uh, this is pretty big. When you were still little, your mother used to sit by your bedside and softly tell you the story of the flying men. You probably don't remember this sad tale, but it was invented by your great-grandmother. You should pay them a visit. You should have a talk with them, because you just might remember the story. Hmm. I think it's time we uh, went to uh, Queen Mary's castle, huh? Don't you think? Yes, okay, let's do that. (laughs) So before you can walk into the castle, uh, there's a big fence that's surrounding it. And there are three guards stationed outside. And you're supposed to solve a riddle before they will let you pass. Now, they don't tell you what the riddle is. But if you use telepathy, then you read uh, their mind. And they say, that's right. The answer to the riddle is two alligators. But they haven't figured out what the riddle is yet. (laughs) (laughs) That was a real serious runner for my mother, she quote. Um, (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. So they let you through, and when we get into the castle, we have my favorite piece of music from this section. 
the, the song. Oh yeah. Yay. Cool. We matched. <laughs> Stamp your bingo card. Thunk. Um, <laughs> it's a track that's called wisdom of the world and it is really sweet and really beautiful and good grief. When you hear the album version of this song with Catherine Warwick singing over the top of it, it sounds like it could be the credits music to an 80s fantasy film. I mean, they yeah. are going for it. That's when I was yeah. like, this this is never ending story. It had This is way better than the title song to that film, which I like, but Wisdom of the World is better. Yeah, I really like the song in the castle too. That was my, my choice. There wasn't a whole lot of different music in this section of the game, uh, but that was definitely the one that stood out to me the most. Oh, and hey, speaking of music, we should mention something kind of weird here. Fans of the Flying Man from Earthbound will remember Flying Man's really, really distinct music. And fans of the Mother soundtrack for this game, Earthbound Beginnings, will know that there's a track called Flying Man on there with that music, but that music doesn't appear in Earthbound Beginnings at all. So they wrote a song called Flying Man, which is super funky and has lyrics for this game, but I guess there was they ran out of space or something or couldn't figure out how to do it. Because it's nowhere to be found in this game. It was written for this game, but doesn't appear until the next game. So as you're walking through the castle, there are a few rooms that have guards in them, presumably. Uh, There's the throne room, and then there's a whole lot of treasure rooms. The guards have some interesting things to say, including my mother, she quote, for this segment. Ooh, lay it on me. So one of the guards that you talk to is telling you the story about Queen Mary's nightmares. And he says, Queen Mary often has nightmares. As if scolding a naughty child, she cries out, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then she starts to sing just a little bit. Then she forgets the tune and wakes in a sweat. I wonder what sad experience has done this to Queen Mary. I thought that was an extremely haunting piece of dialogue. It made me really feel for what these characters are going through and a way that I hadn't until this point. Yeah, it's just a fun fantasy world until you read about someone's trauma. Yeah. It also clued me in that Queen Mary probably knows a piece of this song. (laughs) Well, it made me think that initially. Now I think that you probably have to collect all the song pieces and then come back and play it for her and then that, you know, lets you win the game or something like that. Well, Queen Mary herself says to you, Welcome, Ninton. Here in Magicant, everyone is your friend. You can have as much as you like, of whatever you want. What? You want to listen to my song? Sorry. I don't know why, but I just can't sing. I beg you to learn the melody. It's only eight notes long. When you learn them all, return and sing it for me. If only I could hear that song. So she needs you to jog her memory. Yeah. That seems like a quest that we would be on. (laughs) Yep. It sure does. And one of the guards that's in the throne room, this was almost my mother, she quote, but he says, all of us know that you don't belong here, but we consider you one of us. Everyone here loves you, Ninten. And I thought that was so sweet. Everyone's like, we know you don't belong here, but we consider you to be one of us. And, and everybody here loves you. And they also say, promise me that if you need help, you'll come back. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Magic Can is a place where you can have whatever you want, if you go to one of these people's houses, they serve your favorite food. Yeah, um, they ask you, do you know what the what food we serve here? Yeah. And if you say yes, they are like, that's right, pizza. For me anyway. Yeah. It is like entering a child's fantasy land. And being confronted with that in such a, a weird way is really emotionally disarming. The encyclopedia says about entering the castle. 
When you awaken from a dream, even though you know you were there a moment ago, you can't remember what you saw in it. The feel and touch of your dream you can sense with your whole body as plain as day, but trying to picture it, any of it, turns out to be a different matter for some reason. This feeling of being unable to remember, so heartrending it hurts, will rain cats and dogs all over your whole frame when you enter this castle. What's that all about? And the folks who you've been referring to as guards, it's unclear what they are. They look kind of weird. Well, it describes them as chamberlains and says it's like they're wearing a sack from head to toe. I, I think they kind of look like rag dolls, like old time rag dolls. Yeah, I thought it might have been armor, but that makes sense too. It's, it's kind of hard to tell with the 8-bit graphics, but yeah, yeah, I can see that. And the floor is green, which evokes a very, like, return to Oz kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's re- and, and reflective. The encyclopedia describes it as though it holds a lake of deeply submerged sorrow. Wow. And inside this castle is a bunch of stuff. They give you yeah, so many you items can't you up. can't possibly carry them. <laughs> and they also torment you. Eventually you find a, it's like a weird little maze. And eventually you find a room with six chests in it. And you, you can only pick one. You don't know there are any rules to this at all. But you can only pick one and the, all, all the other ones disappear. I got a, a strength capsule out of one of them. I, yeah. I guess there's other items in the other ones. Yeah. there's uh, The top three presents are a boomerang, a size stone, and a, fi- a fight capsule. And the bottom three presents are a rope, a ruler, and berry tofu. Berry tofu. Uh, most strategy guides say, you know, try to get the boomerang. They're all in the same place, so if, once you know where they are, it's all good. But I think uh, the boomerang you can buy eventually and pretty soon in the game. So I, I, the fight capsule, which permanently raises your energy stat, I, I, I prefer yeah, that. That seems better. You can also get a quirky item called the flash dark in the castle. Yes, uh, I love the flash dark. Bl- it blinds enemies, has multiple uses, and its it description is the opposite of a flashlight. <laughs> I thought that was so brilliant. I was like, a flash dark? What's this? And then I read the description, and I was like, that's great. I love that. (laughs) You can also pick up a bullhorn, which I presume is the same item that the hippie was trying to use against you. It's true. That's exactly what it is. You can tell someone else that their mother's calling them. (laughs) But most of the items in there I couldn't pick up, again, because I had no inventory space. Yeah, they just got to keep coming back to Magic Camp, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't who, who yeah, knows that? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> or go down into a dungeon, take all that stuff with you, and then have to discard it because you need room for the other stuff that you pick up in the dungeon. True. Yeah. We've seen all the sights of Magic Camp. Only one thing remains, and that is to try to get the hell out of here, even though it's really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Something else I didn't figure out until way too late is that you can actually step off of the clouds. I thought it was one of those situations where you're on a path. These are the only places you can go. But no, you can step right off the clouds and you can walk pretty much anywhere. The land is pink and that is disarming. The section under all the wells, the header in the book says Magicant Underground in English. But next to all the English headers is text in Japanese. Kinisu, who translated it, had a really interesting take on this specific section, and they had a Twitter thread sort of exploring this. In Japanese, it calls the Magic Ant Underground uh, Chika Taiga, or the Great Underground River. And they go on to say, until now I've ignored these secondary names, but since in this case something significant would be lost in translation, the fact that there's running water down here, I'm choosing in my translation to call this the Underflow. And I think that's a really 
great name for this space, especially based on how it's described in the encyclopedia. Yeah, I mean, it's a well, right? So that makes sense there'd be water down there. It's a well, but it's also the utmost depths of the dream. And you can kind of see the water because when you go inside, the space is made out of giant bricks. Like you're a very small person inside of a very big well and the floor is black. But outside of the map, you can see like the edges of the labyrinth you're walking through. And it's like, submerged in water or reflected water you can see that there's some kind of like watery sort of styling and you're in some kind of stony Hmm. pocket inside of a lot of water Hmm. that's interesting it's a bit abstract but after you go down the well you are confronted with two passageways there's one left one on the right and you got to choose which one to go down and after you go down that passageway you're confronted with another two passageways and so on so forth so basically the map of this area sort of forms this big tree of you know decisions about ways that you could go And some of the items or some of the paths lead to nothing. Some of them lead to an item, but one leads to a larger area. Yeah, it's a very weird sort of like trial and error puzzle of a bunch of rooms that look exactly the same. And eventually you get to where you're going. And when you get to the larger labyrinth at the end of this, these all these forking paths, it's actually in Earthbound Beginnings significantly scaled back in floor size. All the same stuff is there. But it's like half the size of what it was in the original Mother game. Really? Yeah. So they did change some things with the American translation other than just censoring some of the enemies that you fight. Yeah. And I've never heard anybody outright say this, but I think it's safe to assume that there were some changes that were clearly for the sake of localization and meeting the standards and practices of Nintendo of America. But there were other changes that do kind of feel like director's cut changes, like fewer enemies, having a run feature, and in some cases taking care of places where it was extra easy to get lost. But maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever found out for sure who made those choices. Did you encounter the fish down there? Well, since I mentioned leaving the uh, without the onyx hook, uh, I think you can imagine that I, uh, I just kind of passed that by accidentally. When I was down there. Wait, so does the the fish is a part of the onyx hook? There are these weird little trapdoor spaces, and that's how you go down and down and down all the different right. forking paths. Well, when you get into the primary labyrinth, there is one more trapdoor space. And when you walk over that, you battle the fish, and then you're able to go down in that trapdoor space. Oh, okay. So the fish is kind of like a mini boss to get down to where the onyx hook is. Yeah. And it's I thought it was just because- a random encounter. It feels like it would be. It's in the middle of the floor. I, Me yeah. moving around it was okay. just me thinking like, well, I see there's a present up ahead. I'm going to get that and then I'll double back and never did. I see. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. I thought the fish was pretty fun. I was like, oh, there's just, it is the fish. There's there's no other fish. It's This is the fish that's down here. <laughs> it looks like a big, scary piranha of some kind. Yeah. And and it is, it is a tough fish. It was tough. Yeah. Uh, even with me using defense up, which normally had like made enemies like only deal one damage to me, it was dealing seven damage in a continuous attack. And the flash dark did not work on it. Yeah, I didn't think to use the flash dark. I just kind of like beat it up. In the Japanese version, the fish has a cooler name, the master of the underflow, Ooh. who dwells further still beneath the underflow. Hmm. Okay. Something called master of the underflow that is a fish makes sense that you might get the onyx hook from yeah. them. Um, Absolutely. However, it's not called the Onyx Hook either. 
In Japanese, it's called the agate fish hook. I, onyx hook's better. Yeah, onyx hook does sound cooler. But I was questioning, okay, so specifically it's a fish hook, and you get it from a fish, so that I guess that sort of makes sense, or a fish is guarding it. But why agate? And then why change agate to onyx? I assume that they must have thought, well, agate is kind of a weirder stone that maybe American audiences would think it was like agate, like agate, mm, and not yeah. and like be confused by it. But I thought, well, what are the traditional properties of agate according to like Japanese folks? So I went to a strange source. Uh huh. Really Let's see the depths of the rabbit holes you will go down, my dear Catherine. Into the internet's underflow I go. <laughs> so I went to a very strange source, a Netherlands website about Japanese culture. Okay. A website called japanfans.nl. But I went there specifically because, according to a list that they had, they were touting that they were like speaking about these stones in the context of Japanese culture, which is something that I wouldn't otherwise have access to. I don't know if I go to, say, my local witchy store and check out what they've listed as the properties of agate, if that's going to be the same for English-speaking culture. But according to this Netherlands website, in Japan, agate is regarded as a protective stone. They can prevent bad dreams. Stress and energy drain. According to ancient beliefs, agate is a gemstone that balances energies and helps to awaken talents. Maybe that says yeah. nothing, or maybe it's not a coincidence that it says that it can prevent bad dreams. Or that it awakens talents, like yeah. psi abilities. Yeah. What is the uh, uh, descriptor for onyx? I could not find a Japanese descriptor for onyx, but in terms of like an American descriptor for onyx, I did look it up. It seems so inconsequential to like the context of the game that I was like, eh. Like okay. they, they named it Onyx Hook because it's a cooler name and they're yeah. right. Rule of cool. I'll play it. There are found the uh, Onyx Hook, stole it from the fish in the sea of holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you meet a nowhere man. He's a real nowhere man. Yeah. But we'll get to him in a moment because there's a bunch of other weird stuff in this labyrinth, <laughs> namely a Galdarn dragon. Yeah. A sleeping dragon. I didn't know what to make of that. Uh, I tried to wake it up though. How did that go for you? It didn't work. It said that I did not have the psionic strength to stir this dragon. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll try the Psy Stone. That didn't do anything either. This dragon was not moving for anything or anyone. Well, I guess you're just going to have to get your levels higher, huh? I guess so. And then see what happens. Mm -hmm. Wake the dragon. Yeah. Also, weirdly, in the middle of a path is a present. And when you open it, you get a sword. But you can't use a sword. Nope. It takes a lot of training. Only a few people can learn to use the sword. According to the description, yeah. Wonder where that's going to come into play. Hmm. Maybe when I get but, my own flying teddy. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, but just beyond that present with the sword in it, you find a person with their back turned towards you. Yeah. Standing in a hole in the wall. That hole was made for him. <laughs> oh, my. No, don't, don't remind me of that. Oh. This section is... Very strange. And though it's a forgotten man, this experience is unforgettable. He says, I'm a forgotten man. I'm not really here. I'm a forgotten man. I'm not really here. You didn't have to notice me. Please ignore me. And that's it. But if you talk to him again, his dialogue changes. I'm a man who does not exist. You talk so kindly. I don't know what to do. If I miss people, I cannot live alone anymore. And if you talk to him again, 
He says, My conversation is always a monologue. I've been alone since the moment I was born. But if you talk to him again, he says, Lucky, unlucky, it makes no difference to me. Sometimes even breathing becomes too much. And if you talk to him again, he says, Why do you insist on talking to me? Are you a forgotten man too? What did you say, Jess? I tried both paths. If you say no, he says, that's right. That is right, right? Go ahead. Ignore me like everyone else. And you get another yes or no choice. If you say no, his entire dialogue sequence repeats. But if you say yes, agreeing to ignore him, he says, that's right. Thank you. And disappears. If these holes are an analogy representative of depression, the forgotten man is the experience of depression. It is somebody who feels disconnected from society. They're blocking the path that is preventing you from returning to the normal world. It's the person that keeps you inside your own mental state of mind, spiraling down this path like the like the helter-skelters outside. You feel unnoticed, unloved, like everybody's just ignoring you or doesn't see you. Breathing is too much. It feels overwhelming. It doesn't make any difference to you. Lucky, unlucky, it, it, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters to you when you're a forgotten man. Yeah. And when he disappears, that may be his death. In the encyclopedia, it says, I suppose from now on, however many times you come to this exit, your thoughts will return to the now deceased forgotten man. But it does also contradict itself. Elsewhere it says, answer yes when he says, ignore me already, and the man will leave, and the exit will appear. So, which is it? Maybe it's both. Well, I mean, leave can mean die. True. Now, there is a funny and deeply frustrating thing about the forgotten man. It's so awful that they removed it from the game. Okay. You mentioned that there was a um, person in the woods who sort of mentions the Forgotten Man, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in the original version of this game in Japanese, there's a girl in the forest. That person in the forest gives you a friendship ring. It is a ring that does nothing. When they give it to you, they say, don't you forget me now. If you have this on you during your exchange with the Forgotten Man, I hear something will happen. Okay. So, Kanisu brave traveler that they are, tried this out. So the forgotten man, when you encounter them, when you give the wrong answer, it loops, right? You have to go through the dialogue sequence again Mm -hmm. to get back there. In the original version, it warps you back to town. Which town? Magic Hand. Okay. So it spits you back Mm -hmm. out uh, in the middle of town. You got to go back down into the underflow and then hope you do it right the next time. Right. So... Kanisu thought, hey, I bet the friendship ring prevents you from getting warped back to town if you give the wrong answer. So when he asks, are you a forgotten man too? If you say yes, he says, you liar, go back to the girl you've got waiting for you. He doesn't even know that you have somebody, but he's angry that you probably have somebody waiting for you and warps you back to the girl on the town bridge. Um, But as Kanisu found, when you have the friendship ring on you in your inventory... It still warps you, but this time it warps you back to the girl in the forest who gave you the friendship ring in the first place. Wow. Okay. That's not a huge difference, but... No, it's worse, in fact. 
<laughs> it's worse because it's like because she's farther away. I mean, if it's if you're judging okay. by distance, it's worse. But it's basically like, no, you have somebody. Go go back to her. Let me send you back there. Let me remind you how you're not a forgotten man. Yeah. So that is weird and emotional, but also such a lousy game mechanic. I totally understand why they got rid of it, <laughs> especially because, you know, inventory space is precious and you're going to do this. Come on. Sure. Yeah. I feel sorry for the forgotten man, though. I think you're supposed to. It's like he cannot die until you agree to ignore him. And he just seems to exist in this perpetual state of pain. It's kind of like, hopefully he doesn't come back. Hopefully that's like, you know, liberation instead of that pain going somewhere else. We can ask, whose forgotten man is he? Is he his own person? Is he someone else's? Is he Ninten's? Probably not. Ninten has an attentive mom. That's probably not Ninten's psyche. Um, feel forgotten yeah <sighs> but down there if we wanted to deeply analyze this we we certainly could it's, there's no end of options for ways you could interpret this after the forgotten man disappears you can exit the underflow and suddenly you are popped out there's another one of those little pink spire things and you're inside of a different cave and you walk outside and you're somewhere else yeah on a cliffside just outside the town of Marysville, the next town over from Podunk. Yeah, uh, so. but it was quite a journey to get from point A to point B. And since we have the Onyx Hook, we can go back to Magic Camp pretty much anytime we want. And I'm sure we will. Because I'm, we're going to have to. We're, we're going to need some help. Those folks seem to need our help. And there's a lot of, lot of good to do in this world and in the dream world. When I initially said, hey, uh, Jess, get to the other side of the uh, the mysterious cave, you're like, what? <laughs> what's in there? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'd say what's in there is uh, more than you bargained for. <laughs> yeah. It definitely inspired me, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and on well, that note. <laughs> uh, I'm Kat. I'm Jess. And that's, and that's all, all she wrote. She wrote. <laughs> Mother She Wrote is made possible thanks to the generous support of our Patreon producers, Becky Scott Fairley, Bob Hogan, CB, Joe Tank Ricciardelli, Josh King, McDribble Deluxe, Mjolnir MK86, Patrick Webster, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, and our Super Deluxe executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, and Jamieson Malone. You can join the team at patreon.com forward slash omniverse media. And if you think that Mother She Wrote is simply smashing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player. This series is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida, and Louisville, Kentucky, on lands stolen from their indigenous people. The Tamuqua and Seminole, and Shawnee, Cherokee, Osage, Seneca, Iroquois, Miami, Hopewell, and Adena. Acknowledgement of the first peoples of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately, decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts and to learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit omniverse.media slash landback. Mother She Wrote is written, produced, and performed by me, Jessica Mudd. And me, Kat Blackard. 
Our original score is composed and performed by Jess. Special thanks to Kinesu for his invaluable work translating the Mother Encyclopedia. Find a link to his translation, other media we've referenced, and full episode transcripts at MotherSheWrote.Earth. Mother She Wrote is not affiliated with Nintendo, Shigesato Itoi, or any rights holders of the Mother and Earthbound intellectual properties. Please play the game's official Nintendo releases. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. You start with your own breathing. Match the rhythm of the breeze that carves the canopy, the birds and bugs chirping in set intervals. Feel the subtle pulse rising up from the ground beneath you. To wander is to dance with the forest. But the forest isn't just the partner. She's the music, the style. She's the rhythm. She's the set of ancient steps and movements that have been passed down from one dancer to another. She teaches you to dance the dance she invented to the music she's singing in a tonal system she thought up one night as it pleased her. You breathe, and you listen, and you wait for your place. Your first step, the call to Fairy Folktale Podcast from T.H. Ponders, a member of the Fable and Folly Network. Listen to the show by searching for The Wanderer in Apple Podcasts or by visiting www.callofthewander.com.